So let's start uh, tonight just talking about what are some things that symbolize leadership in our culture? Like, how do you know someone's in charge? Give me some thoughts. This is the audience participation part. A formal title. A formal title, right? Everybody, oh, he's the boss, right? She's the boss, all right? Other things. Titles? A badge, right? Dude walks in with a badge, you kind of know, right? That's, that's, that's the person, all right? What else? Somebody's in charge. Authority. They stand and you sit. Yeah, that's, they were little bulbous microphones. Uh, okay. Other thoughts. What? How? How else do you know somebody's kind of in charge when you go into a situation? A uniform. Okay. Sometimes it's a uniform that says like their name on it, and you know that they are there to fix your car, and you cannot do that. So they are in charge, right? Um, sometimes it's a different kind of uniform, but yeah, those are all. Places of authority or, or things that symbolize authority. Anything else? Okay, the head of the table, right? You always know, like there's there's certain things in our culture that symbolize that somebody's the lead or somebody's in charge. Well, I've taken a few trips to uh, Fiji, and this is um, this is a Fijian uh, neck breaker, and this is so rad. Um, I have no idea how they physically, because the real ones are even bigger than this. They, they told me that they were making this because of um, how small I was. They made it this size. They were like, you're not big like a Fijian. So, and if you see Fijian men, you'll, like, you'll understand because they are huge, huge people, right? And uh, so they, they made this and, and uh, made this specifically in my size. And uh, the idea with this neck breaker, right, um, there's all kinds of uh, ways that you can dominate people with this, but they kind of basically, you know, that if the guy is carrying this or if there are two people walking in front of him that are carrying these, you know that that guy's important, all right? So whenever you're in a place of, for their culture, in a place of meeting, Usually they'll have a small version now, symbolically, because uh, they don't um, cannibalize anyone anymore, so they don't typically use these things. Um, so if you're ever in a place of meeting, though, they will typically take a war club like this, or there's a couple different versions of them, and they will sit that uh, at the head table, and that symbolizes that's the chief. The chief is here. The chief is in control. The chief is the one we listen to and obey. And it's very interesting to watch in their culture what happens when the chief enters the room. When the chief enters the room, everybody backs down. Um, and when the chief enters the room, he enters through the front door. But in their culture, the chief is the only person who enters through the front door. Everybody else goes in the back door. Um, and when they're sitting at the table, um, the, the female members of the family... Um, unless they are his spouse, are not allowed to sit at the table with the chief. It's a very interesting culture. Some of it I'm like, oh man, I'm grateful that it doesn't work like that in our culture. But, but there's no doubt who's in charge when you're in the room. And we would go places when we're in Fiji with my friend Oscar. And Oscar, was he's a rad guy, right? He's, he's a Fijian guy who is um, the chief. And uh, the chief... Uh, runs the show, hello chief, um, 
And the chief who runs the show would be the guy who was taking us around. So when we would show up, for instance, to the hotel we were going to stay at, they would give me a price. And then Oscar would come and step in next to me. And he would say, my name is Ratu Vuki. Now, Ratu means the chief. And when he would say that, they would say, oh, 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 I'm sorry. The chief's price is, and it was like three quarters off the price, right? Because they, they, they knew you don't mess with the chief. And tonight, as we look into this word from John, it, it, it's going to be an interesting walk. When I first started looking at this, and first started taking a look at, at how we were going to navigate the scripture, I was a little bit concerned because it doesn't, for me, right away click. But when I started looking at kind of why John would be writing this at this specific time, it was because people had forgotten. People were easily forgetting who was in charge. They were easily forgetting who was who, who this was all about and what this was all about, this new found Christianity. And tonight, there's a few things that I noted that we're going to talk about and John's going to point out to us. Before I read the scripture, I want you to have this in your head. One, um, challenges that we face in the church today and the challenges they were facing in their church at that time. From 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, the first one was Antichrist's. Or people who denied that Jesus was the Christ and Messiah. They were literally against Him. And you'll hear that word, Antichrist, and it's not the one who's acting like they're in charge, but it's someone who's rejected and currently rejecting the Godhood of Jesus Christ and Him as Savior. That's one issue that we still face in our culture. Secondly, there's people leaving their church and their community. They had never had this before. It's, it was all like, oh yes, we love this, we love this, we love this. They had never had somebody leave before. And so they had to navigate. What did it look like now if somebody, somebody was leaving the church? We've never seen this. And the third thing that they're facing here is the temptation to lose passion or to question the truth. And we face that every day. A lot of student ministry and a lot of, and a lot of what we do in our congregational ministries, reminding people to maintain a passion and maintain a fervor for what, what is ahead and maintain a passion for serving the Lord because the time is, is limited because we don't just have all day, every day. And it's not just going to be all the time in front of us, but that Christ himself is so important. And our temptation to lose the depth of the truth is scary because sometimes we can start to let our mind run and, and do tricks on us where we start to think, well, was that really true? I mean, I mean, I know Jesus is good and Jesus is, is great and I, I believe in God, but is all this stuff really true? And that's what they were facing. So I'm going to read this passage of scripture and then we're going to pick it apart a little bit just to kind of walk through it because it's stuff that we're in the middle of. We face every day. And it begins like this in verse 18. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. And when they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you're not like that. 
For the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? A liar is anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So, you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. And if you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in the fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life He promised us. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you've received the Holy Spirit and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what He teaches is true. It's not a lie. So, just as He taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ. So that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. God, take these words and help them become alive to us as we discuss them just for a few moments. And I pray that some of the things you've shown me this week would would spark and enliven our relationship with you. And help us to realize where we're at, where we're going, and how we can serve you on a deeper level. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So remember, the challenges that John is is talking about are things that are happening in the church proper at that time. You've got to remember, this is Grandpa John. He's like in his 90s. He's writing this. He's been beat up, mutilated. His body's been destroyed. He's just a mere shell physically of what he ever was as a person. And he is doing his best to communicate the message of the gospel as clearly and purposefully as he can. But he's also a little bit cantankerous. He's a little bit, he's a little bit frustrated with what's going on. He's seeing people do things that that they were never intended to do, and he's trying to make a lot of things right because he's saying, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to tell you how it is. See, when you're younger, you do a lot of things where you try to make it, like, smooth, right? I I don't want to offend you, right? But when you're a grandpa, you're like, I don't care if this offends you or not. This is how it is. Chew on that, right? And that's the kind of the way that John was. He's like, hey, if you want to talk about it, they boiled me alive. Chew on that, right? There's, take that. I don't care what you have to say about me. I've already made it through everything. And the truth is, what he's combating here is he's combating a spirit of the day and people who had come and they had taken enough of a good thing that was the gospel message of Christ. They took bits and pieces and they took out the idea that God is in control and and they made that like a really big thing. And then they started mixing in with it what we would call like new age beliefs. Kind of like everything you do, as long as you're doing good things, as long as you're helping people, you'll go to heaven. Don't worry about it. As long as you have a good heart, as long as you have good intentions, everything leads back to God. And that's a current mindset across culture in America today. As long as you have good intentions, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. 
And I meet people all the time who are saying, but Jeff, but I'm a good guy or I'm a good lady. I've done a lot of good things. I serve this. I give to this. I help with this. And John, all throughout chapter 1, is saying there's a difference between somebody who's in the light and somebody who is not. And you can be somebody who does good all day long, but all you are is doing good all day long. You're not connected to the source and hope of our lives. And he says, be careful, because just because you think you're on the right path doesn't make you on the right path. And just because you look right or sound right or say the right things doesn't mean you are right. And he's been warning and warning and warning. And then he comes to this place and he's saying to the church, basically, now I, I've told you this stuff and I'm going to be hard with you, but, but I need to tell you, like there's these things happening in your church and I want to warn you against those, but I also want to comfort you in those. And so when he starts this and he says from the very beginning, dear children, again, there's that endearing side. Dear children, the last hour is here. He's, he's setting in front of him, and, and we do that throughout the New Testament. The authors and the writers, specifically Paul and John, would say that the, the end times are here. The, the last days are here. We're right now in this place where it could all be here. There's an urgency. And there was an urgency that ever since Christ ascended into heaven, he was saying, do what I'm asking you to do because I'm coming back. And as he goes, he's saying the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many such Antichrists have appeared. He starts into a a piece, but I don't want us to lose this idea here. Let's, Let's hold on to this just for a minute. This was one of the things that probably stuck out to me most. As I was reading through this, I started thinking about how often in my spiritual life, I just, I continue to think, well, I can do, I can do that tomorrow or I'll do that. I'll do that later after I've accomplished this, or I'll, I'll get there when this happens. And, and in our lives, we do that a lot. Like, like, because we're not right in the midst of the fight all the time, we kind of, easily push things off you know what it's a rough season i got a lot going on i was talking to some guys this week they have a lot going on a lot and we think man i I just don't have time for this when when i get done with this then i'm going to have a little bit more time and then i'll be able to or then i'll i'll take that seriously We do that with our Christian faith a lot of the time because we lose our urgency. And I think what John was doing from the very beginning was reminding us how urgent, how urgent the message of the gospel is. And this was what I would say to Pipeline Church. Like, don't lose the urgency of the moment and the day. Don't lose the urgency of the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. We can't lose the urgency of the message of the gospel. When we start thinking, I'll get to it, that's when we start to lose the battle. And then he says here, there's a lot of people that have come in that they're already, they're already appearing and telling you, yeah, yeah, they told you Jesus died for your sins, but that's not true. He just was another dude who died. They told you he rose from the dead, Man, I've seen that trick a bunch of times. The truth is, if, you just, if you're just good, you don't have to listen to all that stuff Jesus said. You don't have to love God and love others. You can just love God. 
And then this whole love others thing, like, let's put that aside. Let's do what we want. Let's abuse people. Let's, let's take care of business our way. But as long as you generally believe in God, like, you're going to be okay. And there's a lot of people in our lives that we talk to on a regular basis that go, you know, I believe in God. I just don't believe all that extra stuff, you know, that goes along with, I don't, I don't believe I have to do all that and, and be all that. I think God will look, God looks at my heart and he knows, he knows where I'm at. There's a famous singer, she was being interviewed and they asked her because she has very, very deep roots in her faith and she does a lot of things that are not related to her faith. It's kind of crazy. And they asked her, well, how do you reconcile your faith and what you say you're rooted in and grounded in with the way you do things and the songs you sing and, and kind of your actions in these videos and, uh, you know, living with guys and all this stuff? Like, how does that work? Because we don't see how that matches up. And her response to a very well-known magazine was, you know what, God and I have a deal. We've, we've, we've got it figured out between the two of us. We kind of have an agreement. And so God knows my heart, and I know that He's for me, so I'm all good. And a lot of people want to live like that, and if that's where you're at, I'm telling you, please don't, don't, don't do that. If you know there's places in your lives where you're compromising, and you're setting some things aside, and you know you're not right, and you know that you're not in a good place, don't continue to stay there. Because you think you've got it figured out or you've made a high five agreement with God. Because there's no way that that's true. There's no way, according to the Bible. And what we end up doing is we see here that these antichrists that had come along, there were people who had heard the message and said no. The next verse takes us to a place. It says, now... These people have left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. And when they left, it proved that they didn't belong with us. It's that wonder of thinking, well, I grew up with this guy, and now I'm seeing what he's doing. Or I grew up with this girl, and and now their life doesn't mimic anything we grew up doing. And people were watching and saying, when we came to faith in Christ, we came in faith to Christ together. Like, we did this together. How can, how can they be turning their back? Like, we saw this together. If we saw the same thing, how is this happening? And again, that's something we face. I face that a lot in student ministry with, with students who've watched people go off to college and kind of turn their back on their relationship with the Lord and not being able to reconcile how that happens or what we do or how we respond. And it's this... He says it's going to happen. He says it's very clear. People are going to leave. People are going to turn their backs. People are going to say they were living in the light, but they were never really living in the light. They're going to be near, and they're going to look like you and sound like you, and everything's going to be like it's all coming off all good. But their roots aren't deep, and their life isn't really fully committed. And so he said, these antichrists are going to come in and what they're going to do is they're going to hear the message and they're going to nod their head and it's going to be all right. And then they're going to walk out and they're going to say, you know, I don't like that guy, the the preacher anyway. That's not true. You know, I didn't really like the worship. And so, you know, none of that. I don't need that. You know, they say they help people, but I don't really believe they help people. What we find is a lot of reasons and a lot of excuses where people will walk away. 
And it's crazy because here we are, we're, we're kind of in the love fest era of Pipeline Church. This is our 20th service. The big 2-0 tonight. This is super cool, right? And people haven't been able to like put up, you know, like uh, Tulare Community Church is like 75 years old, right? And that's where I was the last uh, seven years. And in, in a church that's 75 years old, there's like some deep, amazing roots. But there's also been a great opportunity to really tick off a lot of people. And so you have a church that's 75 years old. You've got a big portion of people that think the church is awesome. And you've got a big portion of the church that thinks the, the, the church is crazy. Why? Because you've been around a long time. And it's kind of like we do that with family too, right? You get married. You think your in-laws are awesome right away. You give me long enough, I'll prove to you they're crazy. They're nuts, right? The same thing. Here we are at Pipeline Church, and we're like, oh, this is everything is awesome, right? We're singing the Lego song. We're having dinner together. It's so great. You know, the breeze blows every time we meet together, and it's so fantastic. But then there's something going to come along where you go, oh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that. Even tonight, we were talking about a couple different people um, just yeah, one of our guys was a little bit disheartened. He said, man, these guys are coming, but now they're going, I'm not so sure if that's for me. They had one conversation that set them a little sideways. And right now we're kind of in that love fest of Pipeline Church where it's like, oh, I love it. It feels so good. But we'll come to a time where people are going to take off and they're going to say mean things about us. It'll happen. And they're going to say, well, I didn't, I didn't really like how you did that. I, you know, the ribs were a little not my flavor or whatever. How can you dismiss the ribs? That'll never happen. But the idea is this. There's going to be something, somewhere, some way. The only one who protects us from that is the Holy Spirit. And that's what John goes on to do. He says this, but you're not like that. For the Holy One has given you the Spirit. And all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who's a liar? Anyone that says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is anti-Christ. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And this was very specific to them. Because there was a lot of people coming in saying, we believe in the big Creator God. Because we see this world and we see all that He created. But we don't want to submit to the authority of God. And the authority of God comes in salvation through Christ. Because the price that was paid for us means that I have to respond in some way. And what that comes to me and, and the place that, that I want to take us to is considering and remembering and making sure that we make a point. That the Holy Spirit reveals things to us. And there is something inside of us that stirs. And, and there's places in our lives where we go, man, I, I, I really want to do this, but I should probably do that. And John is saying, listen, listen to the Spirit of God in your heart. Hear Him and know that He's teaching you and know that He's showing you something good. Remember, He's in charge. Remember, He is in charge of your life. And He leads, his, leads you to the places of promise. And I love what He says here. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. I remember when I was in high school, um, I, there, I remember a lot of things about high school, but there was um, a guy, his name was Chris, and he lived down the road from me. And uh, 
he had a really messed up life. Like, and nobody really knew it because they lived in this nice little neighborhood and a nice little family and his parents were really smart and he was really smart and he got good grades and everybody did great. But they didn't know what went on inside that house. And I remember Chris would come and I didn't know this, but he would come and he would stand on my porch, my front porch of my house and just stand there. Like kind of freaky. Like it was, it was really weird. And I didn't realize this until one day my dad walked out the front door and there was Chris standing on our front porch. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? And he got really awkward and everything went a little haywire. And then he began to explain. He said, I'm a friend of Jeff. Oh, do you want me to go get him? No, no, I'm fine. Well, how do you know Jeff? And they started talking. And the story finally came out for Chris that he would come and he would stand on my porch and he said, there's something about standing right here that is the only peaceful place in my life. For whatever reason, when I stand here, it's like all the noises and all the voices that I hear go away. And all the places that, that I just feel like everybody's trying to get at me, like it all goes away. And when I'm here, I just feel right. And I hope I'm not creeping you out, which he totally was creeping us out. He's like, I'm open, I'm not creeping you out, but I know Jeff. And I know what he said about your family. And I hope it's okay that every once in a while I just need to come and, and stand here. You don't have to do anything else. You don't even have to answer the door. What do you do with that, right? What do you do when you realize in a moment that there's someone who's troubled and needs help and they've found a place of peace? And I bring us to this illustration because in the presence of God the Father, there is peace and there is rest and there's broken places that can be healed and God the Father can do a work in our hearts. And God can make straight the crooked places and the broken spaces in our minds. But it's only because we know the Son. And it's only because we know the truth of the Son. So when Chris stood at my door and he said, I, I know Jeff, we're friends. Can I please stand at your doorstep? My dad said, yeah, Chris, anytime you need, you got it. The truth of it is for us, we need to call in the name of Jesus and allow the Father to do the work in our lives that He's called us to. I want to wrap up with this. He goes on to talk about how the Holy Spirit works in us, and, and he, he even gets more into detail in verse 24 when he says, Remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father. And in this fellowship, you'll enjoy eternal life that He promised. He's encouraging. And for some of us, we need to just stop and, and get that reminder that we're loved. That reminder that this gospel message is something that brings life, that it's urgent, that it's life-giving, that it's all-consuming, that it's real. And we need to hold on and not let go. Grandpa John's encouragement to these people was knowing that they're in a battle to hold on tighter than ever before because it was eternity that they were dealing with. 
He then goes on to say, there's going to be a bunch of things that want to lead you astray. But hold to the truth. Everybody's going to have a better way to do it. Everybody's going to tell you like the cool new way to make it happen. But trust me, I'm Grandpa John. Trust me, there's no better way than the way of the Master. And that's where I want to end tonight. Where he says this, and I'd like you to just close your eyes and I'm going to read this last passage to you. He says, and now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when He returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from Him in shame. I want you to hear that. When you stand before Christ, we want you to stand before Him and not shrink back in shame. And here's the reason we can do that. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right in God's eyes are His children. You and I have been called to be children of God. We are called children of God. And He has a plan, and He has a purpose, and He has an ordained future. But I want to really, really, really encourage you with everything that is in me tonight. Remain in fellowship with Christ. Take, take the things that you've heard and make them urgent. Like, really understand how serious this is and not let go of it. I just want to give you a chance. We're not going to do anything too overwhelmingly formal to close this up. We're going to worship together as we get ready to close. But I I want to pray with you, and I want you to have a chance to pray and ask God just to do something in your heart. Again, I, I like to give everybody an opportunity. If God puts something on your heart tonight that you just know you need to take directly to Him, I can't do that for you. I can't call out all the stuff and say, here's what it is. I think it's really important that you just do that. So in these moments, would you take your heart's cry to God? And just say, God, here I am. This is what I am. This is what I've been doing. And this is what I need to be made straight in my life. Would you just do that in the silence of a couple minutes here? Moments. Before I pray the final prayer for the night, um, again, I like to give any opportunity. If you're here and you have not said that I believe in the truth of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want to call on the name of Jesus, and I want to make God my God tonight. If you haven't done that before or you need to come home, this would be a great chance to do that. This would be a great opportunity. There's a lot of us that are coming back to the throne of God and saying, I'm so sorry. But there's some of us that need to, for like for the first time, come home. So if you're in a place to do that, if you feel like that's what you need to do tonight, if you want to just raise your hand and let me know or look at me, I can pray with you. But I, I really, really want to pray with you tonight. and Just ask God to bless you, encourage you, and strengthen you for the week. 
anybody at all that would like us to pray in that direction. So then let's close with this. God, would you make our faith urgent? Would you make it so that this week I can't shut up about you? Would you reveal yourself to me in such a strong and mighty way that there's nothing that could stand between me and the mission of the message that you've put in my heart? God, would you take each one of us and wrap us up in the truth and the knowledge of the living Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior? And would you help us to proclaim that message every day? throughout the course of this week. Father, there's a lot of people that would speak against you in our lives that would be anti-Christ. Help us fight that. Help us combat that, not in an angry way, but to feel the compassion for those who are lost. Lord, there are people who leave your church and communities every day, and I pray that you would bless them and encourage them and strengthen them in such a way that they could benefit and they could work in another church community and life to where they could proclaim your glory as well. God, for each one of us who may find that temptation to lose passion or to question the truth, would you keep us close and never allow us to step away from what you've called us to be into? We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.